Please be seated. We are in a sermon series, The Wages of Sin and the Gift of God. The purpose of the series is to look at the impact of sin to help us better appreciate the gift of God. We've been looking at two word pairings every Sunday from guilt to justification, from shame to glory. This week, the word pairing, exile to home. The wage of sin, the result of sin is exile, and the gift of God is to return home. And exile and home is one of the dominant themes of the, of the Bible, all the way from Genesis chapter three. You may recall that story, Adam and Eve are removed from the garden, they're removed from their home, their uh, paradise. And from that point forward, the whole of the biblical narrative can be thought of in terms of exile, the challenges of living in exile and the hope of returning in home. If you were looking for one Bible story to summarize the entire scope of scripture, uh, Luke chapter 15 and the return of the prodigal son is, you could do far worse than that. It's a great summary of life in exile, the result of sin and the welcome from the father. Uh, just a few notes about the theme of exile to get a running start. Uh, some of the most significant figures of the Old Testament were known as exiles. So Abraham, uh, the father of the Christian, uh, father of, of the faith. Uh, he was referred to as a stranger, as an exile, as a sojourner in, in a land not his own. It was one of his defining traits. He was in exile. Remember God said, go to a land. Well, he never got to that land. He spent his entire life as an exile. Uh, Moses, Moses was born in Egypt, which uh, was not his home, not his land. And his, he felt the sense of being an outsider, being an exile so, uh, so keenly that he named his first son. Uh, his first son reflects this, is, is, is named, it reflects the words stranger, exile, or sojourner. It's all throughout the Bible, as you know, Israel eventually went into exile as a, after a brief stint as a, as a constituted nation. But uh, following the Babylonian conquest, they all went into exile again. And so it's hard to look at one page of the Bible and not hear these things of themes of God's people in exile and a longing to be home. This, of course, continues into the New Testament with a little twist. Jesus says uh, to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, he, he identifies a home for God's people, but of course it's not an earthly home. Uh, it's home with him, home in eternity. So at the close of our service, we'll sing, I am bound for the promised land. And of course, when we sing that, we're not thinking I'm bound for, you know, some earthly nation. That's not our, our, our hope. That's not what we're bound for. We're bound for an eternal home to be with him and to be with him in paradise. So that's a little overview of the theme of exile and home. The wage of sin, to be homeless, to be in exile, the gift of God, the promise of returning home. And exile and home is the setting of our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Please turn there. Here are some sermon notes in your service leaflet on page 11, and you can turn in your pew Bible to page 908 and follow along. This passage is framed in terms of exile and home. Look at verse six. Uh, right now we are away from the Lord, we are in exile. Uh, one day we will return home to the Lord. We will, uh, so exile and home. And this passage tells us a couple of things. 
This passage is going to tell us about our life in exile. This passage is going to tell us about our life when we return home. And this passage is going to tell us what we're to do in the meantime. So with that, let's start. What does this passage tell us about our life while we are in exile? We are strangers in a strange land, foreigners. We're not yet home. What will our life look like? Well, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home. He refers to our earthly home as a tent. And of course, the Apostle Paul, the author, is not referring to the place where he sleeps every night. He's not saying I live in a tent. He's saying my earthly body <laughs> is like a tent. Follow? Very important. He's, his body, he refers to his embodied existence as living in a tent. Now, a personal anecdote. The Glades are a fairly outdoorsy family. We, we do a lot, bit of hiking. Um, there's one outdoor activity I will never do again, and that is uh, sleeping in a tent. Last time, well, not exactly the last time, but very close to the last time I slept in a tent was, uh, was a young man just graduating from a, a college, and we hiked a good portion of the Appalachian Trail uh, a good portion, a good portion of one state of the Appalachian Trail. Uh, so it, the last day of our hike, it rained all day. I mean, all day. We pitched camp in the night or in, in, in the dark and in the rain. And uh, it was miserable and it got more miserable. During the night, a cold front pushed through. The wind started howling and the wind cut through that tent. Uh, there's, there's far there's few things far more miserable than waking up cold and wet in a tent at two o'clock in the morning. And to make matters worse, I'm sure it was just a chipmunk outside the tent, but at two o'clock in the morning, a chipmunk could sound very much like a you know, attacked grizzly bear. And so my buddy and I that I was camping with, we got our Swiss Army pocket knife, unsheathed that thing with its two-inch blade, and sat huddled in the cold ready to fend off the, the, the bear that was, the tent would provide no security against. And that's how the Apostle Paul says, that's what our life is. It's like living in a tent. Now you may know that the Apostle Paul, lit his, his, his line of work, he was a tent maker. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 18, while he was in Corinth, the very city that's the recipients of this letter, while he was in Corinth, he worked as a tent maker. He repaired tents. He made tents. And it's, it's interesting to speculate whether how his trade impacted this analogy. He knew how insecure a tent was. He knew how, how little a tent could do to keep out the wild bears, to keep out the wind, to keep out the cold. He knew firsthand how, how impermanent tents were. You know, there are many homes, uh, physical dwellings we have from Jesus' time. We don't have one tent. They're all gone. They've all corroded, eroded. They just don't exist anymore. Plenty of homes. A tent can only provide a limited amount of comfort. Like you can't hang a picture 
in a tent. Uh, <laughs> the only thing you have to sit on is the floor. The only thing you have to sleep on is the ground. Uh, tents are just not comfortable. And that's why I'll never sleep in a tent again. And that's how the apostle Paul equates his life. He says living in this earthly life is like living in a tent. And what does that mean? It means, number one, you are never safe. Just like a tent is poor protection against the wind, the rain, and the bears, you and I live in insecurity. What's one of the themes of Lent? In our prayers, in our collects, we pray, oh, oh God, I am unable to help myself. Please keep me outwardly from all things that would harm my body. Why? Because without your protection, I am vulnerable. Keep me safe from all evil thoughts that assault my soul. Why? Have you ever tried to not think evil thoughts? It's very good luck. We need the protection of God to guard our souls, to guard our bodies. We are vulnerable. Further, we are impermanent. Tents don't last forever. You and I don't last forever. We wear out. Maybe you have a good tent. Maybe your tent will be around 80, 90 years. Maybe you have a bad tent. You'll be here 60 years. Whatever the framework is, you're not permanent. You are like a tent. Further, life in this earthly body will be uncomfortable. Now, I wonder how that strikes you on a bright, sunny day. Is that some kind of negative? Like, one of the things we say in our Book of Common Prayer when we baptize a child, and it always kind of brings me up short, is that we pray that this child would, would, would uh, be safe in the arms of Christ through the turbulent floods of this troublesome life. Wait, turbulent floods in this troublesome life? That, that's what our, at least our baptism service tells us to expect. Why? Because tents just aren't comfortable. That means life in this earthly tent will be Insecure, impermanent, and uncomfortable. And that may seem a little bit dour on a bright spring day, but I imagine for most of us, we can resonate. And that is life in exile. That's what it means to be a sojourner here. We embody a tent. Now let's compare life in exile to life at home. Look at verse 1. Though the tent of our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So that's a comparison from a tent to a home, an eternal home. Um, we've been watching a tiny world. Anybody? Tiny world? It's a little nature show. Uh, it, it explores tiny little creatures. And one of the tiny little creatures that it uh, videos is hermit crabs. And a hermit crab uh, borrows the shells of another other animal. And eventually those shells wear out, or the hermit crab outgrows it, and that hermit crab has to find uh, another, better, sturdier shell. Same imagery here. One day, this earthly tent <laughs> This, this body, this soul is going to wear down and it's going to be destroyed. But as soon as that happens, as soon as the tent of this body is destroyed, 
one dwelling place ends, another, a better dwelling place begins, a building from God made by human hands, eternal in heaven. Now keep in mind the imagery. The, the, the Bible is not saying that your spirit is going to go live in a home. Right? The imagery is that this physical life is like living in a tent and therefore life in the next will be like living in a permanent home. Right? You follow along in the passage. Our hope is not to be unclothed as if we were some naked spirit floating around in eternity. Our hope is that we will be further clothed, that this mortal life will be subsumed with life, that our mortality will be swallowed up in life. That we will be, in other words, we will be like him. We will be like Jesus in his resurrection. So in our minds, this present reality is secure, permanent, and good. And our eternal existence seems shadowy and insubstantial. But this passage is telling us differently. It's the life to come that is permanent and real and safe and secure and it's this earthly life that has lived in the Shadowlands. We'll exchange our impermanent tent for a building made by God. And all the insecurity and the impermanence and the discomfort of exile will be replaced by its security and by the permanence and by the euphoria of a permanent home. So that's the comparison between life in exile and our life when we will arrive home. The difference between dwelling in a tent and dwelling in a permanent home. And this passage tells us further what to do in the meantime. What do we do while we wait? And I wonder if you notice the word that occurred twice in our passage, it's the word groan. Occurs in verse 2 as we look forward to what we don't have, as we look forward to our heavenly dwelling, we groan as we long to be clothed. It's a groaning for what we don't yet have. We groan for what's out there, our eternal home. And the word occurs again in verse 4. We groan by the burden of what we do have. We groan from the burdens of the insecurity, the impermanence, and the challenges of this life. So we groan for the present what we are where we are, and we groan for the future of what we don't yet have. And notice in both cases, the Holy Spirit seems to be involved in our groaning. Did you see that in verse 5? The Holy Spirit is involved in pointing us towards eternity to help us hold this life loosely so that we groan. It's interesting, the Holy Spirit uh, groans, we're told in the book of Romans. He groans with sighs too deep for words. And here we're told the Holy Spirit points us towards eternity and enables us to groan. And I want to draw two healthy implications for groaning. Number one, groaning is your key to holiness. I wonder if you saw that in our passage. I make it my aim to please him, whether I am at home or I am away. I make it my, remember uh, they, they tell athletes that you have to stay hungry. Right? So Tom Brady, age 55, how old is Tom? He stayed hungry. And because he stayed hungry, he stayed disciplined. He's hungry for the next thing. Christians should be hungry for the age to come. And because we are hungry, we discipline, we make it our aim to please him. 
Cornelius Plantinga, who wrote the book A Breviary of Sin, said this, the spiritually whole person longs in certain ways. Right? The spiritually whole person groans in certain ways. She groans for God, for the beauty of God, for Christ and Christ's likeness, for spiritual maturity. She groans for other human beings to be loved and to be loved by them. She longs for social justice. As we might expect, longings, groanings dim from season to season. And when they do, she longs to long again. Make sense? When we stop longing, we long to long again. Psalm 42 is a psalm taken from a, someone in exile, and it captures the groaning. As the deer pants for the streams of water, my soul longs for you. If you're not groaning, it may be because you've forgotten you're in exile. <laughs> and the spirit, the vice of gluttony is a vice because it is an appetite suppressant. People who are full full on the things of this world, forget to be hungry for the things of next, of the next world. So the virtue on the other side of the vice of gluttony is the virtue of hunger, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you see that a longing for the life to come is the key to holiness? Further, Groaning from the burdens of this life is the key to happiness. Let me explain. If we, could, if we can learn to groan about this life and to accept this life for what it is, impermanent, insecure, uncomfortable, that's the key to happiness. Uh, author Tim Keller and pastor was recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and wrote a very compelling article <clears throat> in The Atlantic. <clears throat> The article was titled, Growing My Faith in the Face of Death, and he wrote this. The less we attempt to make this world into a heaven, the more I am to, able to enjoy it as it is. He tells of his family's inability to enjoy a vacation, how one of his family members would imagine handcuffing herself to the porch railing and refusing to budge, and in trying to make something that was temporary to make it lasting, and in doing so, ruined it. You can only savor a meal so long before the meal goes cold. It's temporary and can only be enjoyed as temporary. But something happens when we accept the world as it is. It's temporary with all the insecurities that we encounter, with all the discomfort that we encounter. And that is, you're able to enjoy it as it is. I'm reminded of a poem from Reinhold Niebuhr, who wrote a serenity prayer. You may know the first part. The first part of this prayer is, God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, the courage to change the things that can, and the wisdom to know the difference. His prayer continues. He writes, may I live one day at a time, enjoy one moment at a time, taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life. 
and supremely happy in the life to come. That's a wonderful perspective. May I be reasonably happy in this life. Taking this a broken world as it is. May I be supremely happy in the next. When we are able to accept this broken world, our broken selves, our broken spouse, our broken children, our broken jobs, our broken whatever. <laughs> we are free to enjoy it as it is. So groaning and longing for our eternal, for our eternal home is a key to holiness. May God keep us hungry for the age to come. And groaning for the burdens of this life is the key to happiness. So may God give us a clear vision of our life in eternity when impermanence will be replaced by permanence, when insecurity will be replaced by security, when discomfort will be replaced by gladness. And by your spirit, help us groan, recognizing the burdens of this life, longing for the joys of the next, and may our groaning lead to holiness. And may our groaning lead to happiness. Amen. Please rise.